Okay, we are in Matthew uh, chapter 1, and we're continuing in this portion, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, talking about the conception and birth of Jesus. We, so this, this would be our, I believe, our third part of Matthew chapter, chapter 1, uh, maybe fourth part, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In verse 19 it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. We had covered this before, how she was worthy of death because of the, the crime of being pregnant before marriage. And she was engaged to Joseph. Joseph hears that she is pregnant and he could have her killed. It says, but being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So righteousness always wants to seek a higher path. Remember what we had covered. That in a relationship between a man and a woman, the only proper response for the man, the only proper response is, I would rather be crucified than to violate your dignity. This is what it means to be a man. That I would rather be crucified than to violate your dignity. I will take the high road in this relationship. This is what it means to be a man. Joseph was a man. And he took a much higher road than what the law would have required him to do. Or what the law would have allowed him to do. The law allowed him to do to, to have her stoned. But he actually went and he did something very different. He sought to just put her away secretly. It says in verse 20, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. When he had considered what? When he had considered putting her away secretly. In other words, when he had considered not disgracing her, then the angel of the Lord came and spoke to him. When he had considered dealing righteously with her. Not when he considered proclaiming judgment upon her and destruction upon her. But when he had considered dealing righteously with her. He being a righteous man. Then the angel appeared to him in a dream. God spoke to him through an angel when he had considered dealing with her 
righteously. When you choose the right path, when you choose the higher way, when you choose a way that is different than the world's way, you open yourself up to being spoken to by God. There are choices that are before us. When we choose a higher way, we open a path to allow God to speak with us. And he heard God speaking to him through an angel in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You know, this is interesting that he should say this, that the angel should put it this way. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What was the reason for him not taking Mary as his wife? It wasn't that he was bitter against her. It wasn't that she, he felt that she was a prostitute. It wasn't that he felt that she had shamed him and shamed his family. It was that he was afraid. Under the circumstances, her being pregnant, he was afraid. It wasn't because of anger and bitterness against her. The angel didn't say, don't be bitter against Mary and therefore not take her as your wife. Don't be angry with, Ma- with Mary and therefore not take her as your wife. He says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. What kept him from marrying her from wanting to pursue marriage at this point, was he was afraid. What does all this mean? He was afraid. What will it mean to my family that I'm marrying a woman who's already pregnant? There was fear there. And so often the choices that we make in life are not because we're bitter or angry about something. It is merely because we are afraid If I come to the Lord, if I receive the Lord, I'm afraid. What will my family do? What will my family think? For those of you that grew up in in Christian or nominal Christian homes, it's not so much that fear, but if you speak to a Jew, or if you speak to someone from another culture, a Hindu or a Muslim, there is fear that keeps them from coming to the Lord. What happens with many believers is, I am afraid to really walk as a disciple of Jesus. What will it mean? It will disrupt the pattern of my life. I am afraid. It's not that we wake up in the morning and say, I want to rebel against God today. I choose to not take this career path that I know God is wanting me to take. That's not normally our response. It's fear. We're afraid to walk the walk that Jesus is calling us to. We're afraid to walk this higher way because it is so unnatural. It is not the way of the world. It is not the way that we have seen modeled to us by our parents, by our peers. It's because we're afraid. And the angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph... Don't be afraid. 
So you see, it wasn't out of bitterness. Even in the midst of this, can you imagine if the one to whom you are engaged, men, if the woman to whom you are engaged is found out to be pregnant and not by you? I mean, there's certainly room for bitterness. But Joseph, being a righteous man, was not there. Let me tell you a story. And this story was, it's a paraphrase of a story I heard who was written by a woman and she was writing about her own life. She was married to a man and they were believers and they weren't particularly walking closely with the Lord at the time. The man fell into an adulterous affair and he shared this with his wife of the sin that he had committed and his wife was livid and that is understandable and she sought divorce and he begged her not to divorce him and she sought divorce anyway and he continued to pursue and say he was so sorry please don't go through with the divorce and in her own words she said she was going to get her pound of flesh she went through with the divorce And about five years later, she saw her former husband in a park with another woman and a small child. He had gone on with his life. He had recovered from this divorce and he had gotten married and he had a child with another woman. And he saw her in the park and he ran up to her and introduced her to his current wife. And she said she watched him going away and he was so happy. He had a wife. He had a child. And she was left holding her pound of flesh. But she was really quite bitter and full of pain. And he was not because he had repented and gone on with his life. You know, there is a higher road that God calls us to as believers. Which in the end brings life. But if we hold the world's way of revenge and bitterness and hatred, we lose out. Joseph was merely afraid. There was no bitterness. He loved this woman. He would have been willing to die for this woman. So he was willing to take the hit and put her away secretly so she wouldn't have to bear shame. He didn't want her to bear shame. Yes. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What does it mean to put her away secretly? I'm not sure what that means. Secretly means he didn't want to openly expose her. Right, so this does not seem that it's that context. It seems a very different context. Uh, you know, we, we, we see an example of this in, in the Hebrew Scriptures of how when Tamar was defiled by her brother, her half-brother, it says that she dwelt barren in her brother's home, her full brother's home, Absalom's home. So she apparently dwelt in her brother's home. She couldn't marry after that. 
And, and it seemed like she didn't have a whole lot of relationship with people after that. You know, so there was, that may be somewhat of the context. It's about all I know. But it seems like it's a very decent thing, you know, from the context of it. So, he wanted to put her away secretly. When he made this choice, God speaks to him. When we make a choice to choose a higher way, God will speak to us. Then he says, son of David, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you look up in, in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. So what was Jacob's father's name, or Joseph's father's name? Jacob was the father of Joseph. What was Joseph's father's name? Jacob. It says in verse 20, Joseph, son of David. Look what he hearkens back to. He calls him a son of David. Speaking of a lineage here. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, it says that Joseph was spoken to in a dream. And then in verse 24, it says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph was spoken to in a dream. Most people have lots of dreams. And we don't put a lot of stock in dreams because, you know, we have all sorts of dreams, right? Sometimes we dream we're great people. Sometimes we dream we're about to die. Sometimes we dream all sorts of things. You say, well, he had such a sure word. It's only natural that he should obey. An angel spoke to him in a dream. Well, give me a break. This was just a dream. Now, no doubt it may have been quite vivid, but it was a dream. We have a far more sure way of God speaking to us through the Scriptures. I am telling you, this word is truth. If you oppose it, your life will not go well. If you follow it, you will be blessed in your life. And you will keep your life to life eternal. This book that we have, that God speaks to us from, is so much greater than a dream. Where we will always be pondering, well, was that dream really of God? Yeah, there was this angel in the dream, but he looked pretty real, but it was just a dream. You know, I woke up, oh, a dream. This word is so sure. Look at what Joseph acted upon. He acted upon a word from an angel in a dream. Can we not act upon this word, this scripture, which is so sure? which the prophecies, one after another after another, have taken place. The only prophecies left to be fulfilled in this word are those concerning Jesus' second coming. Everything else has been fulfilled. 
And we have evidence in our day from the Dead Sea Scrolls that everything that was written in the Old Testament is true. That it wasn't doctored because those scrolls were found in the 1930s. It wasn't changed. This word is sure. In verse 21 it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Remember we looked at last time the disruption upon Mary's life? Mary, being probably around 15 or 16 years old, gets this call from God saying, You are going to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to call His name Jesus, and He's going to save His people from their sins. This is a great disruption on Mary's 16-year-old life. And now, Joseph, who's somewhere between 16 and 20, that was the marrying age for men, is now intruded upon by God through an angel and says, you're going to have a son through Mary. Mary is going to have a son and this is what you shall call his name. You shall call his name Jesus. Well, I, I thought I'd get to name my child. Well, you could. But God's calling you to something else. Again, God puts something in front of a life that can cause disruption of the life, that can cause a man to make a choice between his own way or God's way. In all of this, it was Joseph's choice whether to take this woman or not. He could have said, forget you, angel. This is just a dream. I just blow it away. We can't trust a dream anyway. She's with child. Why should I take her? Hey, Man, I got life, you know? And Mary could have well said, Hey, I got a life. All my friends, they don't do it that way. They get to have the kid that they want to have. And they get to call the, the child what they want to call the child. And they get to form with the child the career path of the child. I mean... Joseph could have well said, hey, I'm a carpenter. None of this saving his people from their sins sort of business. He's going to be a carpenter. Look at what God does. God intrudes on a life and says, you're going to have a son. Well, you know, I kind of wanted a daughter. I was kind of hoping for a daughter. You're going to have a son. This is what his name is going to be. It's going to be Jesus which is Yeshua, or Joshua. And he's going to be in the business of saving his people from their sins. Well, come on, that's kind of dirty work. You know, he's got his own sin to deal with, let alone everyone else's. God says, no, I've got a different way for you. Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall keep it to life eternal, Jesus says. Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life 
for my sake shall keep it to life eternal. If you desire, or if I desire, to take charge of my own life, or your own life, you can. God will not force you. He will not. But if you desire to save your life, and go your own way, and make your own choices, Jesus warns you. He says, you will lose your life. In other words, you will not really experience life as God has it for you if you make a choice to go your own way. Because God's way is He stands before us and He calls us to something greater. And yes, He calls us to do things we hadn't planned on. Well, I didn't really plan on having a child by the Holy Spirit. I planned on having a child by Joseph. I didn't plan on calling his name Jesus. I didn't plan on him being in the saving people from their sins business. God calls us to things that are different. There are different paths that he calls us to. And it is a glorious life if we lay down our own desires. Last week, I was in Korea in South Korea, giving a series of of lectures. And as I was going from lecture to lecture, I was thinking, what a wonderful life, God, you have given me. What a wonderful life. I gave two talks at Samsung. Samsung makes more computer chips than any company in the world. That is a huge company. It is 25% of Korea's budget is this one company, Samsung gave a lecture to their composites group, and then a few hours later, a lecture to their electronics group. I mean, just just phenomenal company. Then the next day, at, 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 I gave a lecture at Seoul National University, and then the next day, I, I took a flight to the south end of the country and, and spoke to a, 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 a group on nanoscience and nanotechnology, and then I flew back up to the northern part of South Korea and spoke to one of their institutes. And just, I was staying in a five-star hotel. It was wonderful. They had this beautiful exercise facility in there. Just all the breakfast you, you could eat. And I'm thinking, God, you have given me everything. And just the attendance and the way they took care of me. And I was talking about the Lord with everyone. And, and uh, on, on the flight back, I, I sat next to a guy from Hyundai. He was an importer for Hyundai uh, automobiles. Just, he saw me reading my Bible. He says, is that a Bible? I said, yes. He says, oh, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. He says, can you teach me something? And I just started to open up the Word of God to him. Just, he was just like a sponge, just an absolute sponge. Thinking, God, you've given me such a great life. Just get to talk about Jesus with all these guys. And I gave him one of my, I had one of my CDs, one of the messages that I've given and I had it with me, and I gave it to him. And he says, oh, this, this is a treasure. This is a treasure. And he says, I have to listen to this with my family. And it, I feel, you know, like he was the Ethiopian eunuch, just saying, you know, can I be baptized? Where can I go? Then I, then I, I got on this flight from then L.A. to Houston. And I turned to this guy sitting next to me, and, and I start talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And the guy just opens up, and after about 20 minutes, he says, he says I, I've never done this before in the four years that I've had this job. He says, but I, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't live a lie. And he pulls out his wallet, he opens it up, it's a badge. He's the air marshal sitting on the, on the flight. Um, and, uh, you know, because I had been bumped up to, well, you know, the Koreans are very gracious, so they got me a first-class ticket, and I was sitting on the inside, and he was sitting, you know, right where air marshals sit in first class, and right on the, on, on the, on the aisle. And, you know, just opened the guy up, and I pulled out another CD I had with me, and I gave it to him. He says, oh, he says, I've got to hear this. He says, I'm going to sit down with my family tonight and listen to this. And I think, God, what a good life you have given me. What a good life. And, and when I was in Korea, I got this call. I was sitting at breakfast. I got this call from the dean here at Rice. And she's asking me to take on this leadership of this new, new center at Rice. And, and I didn't want it. And then I saw God speaking to me that, the next morning from the Word of God. As I, I, you know, she had put this before me. And then God starts to speak to me through the scriptures, just my daily passage. I just start reading where I left off the day before. And I, and I was reading in the epistle of Peter, and it says, it says, and God will exalt you at the proper time. And, you know, just God spoke to me. You know, I wasn't looking for this position. I didn't want this position. And, and, and then the reason I don't want this position is it comes with all these other responsibilities that I really don't care for. And then the next verse is, and cast all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. And just the Holy Spirit just begins to speak to my heart. God speaks to me to take this position. You know, because my first thought was, just let the dead bury the dead. You know, I've got ministry to worry about. And, uh, uh, but God speaks through the Word of God. When we submit our lives to God, He does more than we could ever ask or think. At one of the symposiums there, as I was standing, just before I got up to speak... The guy who was introducing me had apparently read my website. And as he, in, so in Korea, just before I'm supposed to give this plenary lecture at this nanoscience symposium, people from all over the world were there. He gets up and he says, uh, and he, <clears throat> he starts going through some of my resume. He says, but the most important thing is that Professor Tour is a Christian. He's a man who loves God and he cares about God and he believes Jesus is Lord. Now, this is <laughs> right before I'm supposed to give my nanotechnology lecture. And look at what God does. I am telling you, when we submit our lives to God, we gain life. We don't lose it. Yes, He disrupts things. Yes, it is much easier for me to sit in this seat. I was exhausted. I had just been traveling for 15 hours from Korea. And I really wanted to go to sleep when I got on that airplane in in Los Angeles because I had a three-hour layover. But I knew that my mission when I sit on an airplane is to share of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is my mission with the person next to me. I've made that my mission. And it would have been much easier just to go to sleep. But because of my mission, this guy's heart is now opened. Because of this mission. When we submit to God, we see so much more life when we lay down our own desires and our own will. And this is what Mary and Joseph demonstrate. I will lay down my own life and my own will and my own comfort and my own right to name my own child and decide what career, pathway, everything. I lay it down 
<clears throat> and then God says, because you laid it down, watch what I'm going to do with this child. This child of yours shall save his people from their sins. That is what God does. When we lay down our lives and our desires and say, I will sacrifice my Sundays for you. In, in, in all honesty, I am amazed at how little we have to go through and how much we complain. You know, so you miss the bus to get to church. Well, walk. For goodness sake, walk. It's only a couple of miles. It's not going to kill you. There's a sacrifice that comes with God. People are like, oh, man, I, you know, I got up this morning to get to class. I'm thinking, oh, let's set you up on a pedestal. You really did it. You really did it. What a sacrifice. You got up in the morning to come and worship God. I'm amazed. Just amazed. You know, God calls us to something that it takes sacrifice. Young couples, this happens all the time. They have their first kid and it's, it's like this major task in getting, coming to church. And it is. I mean, you get a little kid and as soon as you're about to leave in the morning for church, just as you're about to leave, the kids all dressed up in their nice church clothes, they explode. It happens every time. And it just fills up and comes up their back. And this is very normal. And it happens just before church. Plan on it. Shireen, how many times have we gone through this? Huh? <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, actually. But I stayed in the car and honked the horn. <laughs> so we're even, all right? Think that was easy? <laughs> And just, just as you got the kid all cleaned up, you put them over your shoulder and they vomit right down your back. And you come to church anyway and you smell because you've got, you've got this milk vomit all over your back, but you come anyway. There isn't this big deal. God comes to a life and He says, I have so much more for you. If you're willing to lay down your life, you shall experience new life. In verse 22, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Look at what happens. Is The angel puts this in context for Joseph. All this is t taking place to fulfill the prophecy that has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes this verse from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah 7.14. And that then puts it in context for Joseph. The Word of God sets the context for the experience of our lives. The Scriptures contextualize our lives. Knowledge of the Scriptures will set a context for our life. 
Had Joseph not known this scripture that was cited to him by the angel, it would have meant nothing. You take an unbeliever, very common, take an unbeliever, and girls do this with guys who they really like and they wish that they were Christians and they share a verse with them and the guy is clueless. And guys do this with girls who they really like and they want them to be Christians and they share this verse that really means a lot to them and the girl is clueless. Huh? Because there is no context for the people to grab this thing. There is no Holy Spirit yet in there in the heart to make this word alive. When you know the Scriptures, when you have love and respect for this word, it sets a context for your life. Life has context. Death has context. You know, with the loss of my good friend Rick Smalley recently, I saw unbelievers who knew him and loved him like sheep without a shepherd. Because death to them is the total end. I mean, what do you do when someone dies? But when you have the Lord, it sets everything in context. That man knew God. He received God at the age of 61 into his life. And it puts it in context. And you understand life. You understand death. You understand pain. You understand suffering. When you have the Word of God as your context, it sets a pattern for our lives that makes us understand. It teaches us right from wrong. It shares with us what the outcome will be for a wrong decision, what the outcome will be for a right decision. Before we've ever even made the decisions, it tells us, it warns us, it encourages us on our decisions. The Word of God does this. It set a context for Joseph. As soon as he heard, Ah! He just called me Joseph, son of David. He just said, this is the word that I studied from childhood, that the Savior would come. This is it! This is it! This sets the context. This is what the Word of God does. It sets the context for our lives. If you know this Word, your lives are so more sure Because we all go through pain and suffering and we experience death and hardship. But it gives us a context to understand. And we know the outcome of the decisions we shall make. If you do this, for example... Everything that I see in the Scriptures, when a man walked in immorality, it hurt his life. So I know that if I choose an immoral, dishonest way, it will hurt my life. The Word is there. It is sure. It is sure to come to pass. This set the context. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7. See the context of this word. Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, reading from verse 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king 
of Israel went up to Jerusalem to wage war. Uh, uh, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped against Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fullish field, and say to him, Take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs, of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezum and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in the walls and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now, within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you, have not, if you will not believe, you surely will not last. Okay, so Ahaz is king in Jerusalem. Two kings, one from the northern kingdom of Israel, and one from Damascus, has come to wage war. So they've come to wage war against, against Jerusalem. Ahaz is worried. God sends Isaiah the prophet to speak a word of encouragement to Ahaz. And in this word of encouragement to Ahaz, he says in verse 9, If you will not believe, you surely will not last. Something that is demanded of us is faith. Faith is demanded of us. Without faith, we will not last. He says, if you will not believe, you will not last. Hebrews 11.6 says, Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarders of, rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith, you and I cannot please God. He says, without faith they have, you will not last. You will not last. It is a sure end for you. It is a sure end for us if we will not have faith. We cannot please God without faith. We must believe that God exists and that He rewards us if we seek Him. We must believe that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that he who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that Jesus has raised from the dead shall be saved. There must be a confession with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you've never confessed it, you better confess it today if you're concerned about salvation. And you must believe in your heart that Jesus has risen from the dead. If you don't believe in the resurrection, begin to read the Scriptures because you're not saved. 
I don't care what kind of home you grew into, you grew up in. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Growing up in a, being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus has raised from the dead in order to be saved. There is something of belief and faith in what we are called to. For salvation and for reward. We must believe that God is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek Him, He will reward you. Then the Lord spoke again in verse 10 of Isaiah 7. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God and make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. So you see, Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, you know, if you don't believe, you know, I know you've got two huge armies coming against you and you're afraid. God, interestingly, calls those two armies smoldering firebrands. Look at the way God views our enemies. He doesn't view them as being very powerful, although in our eyes they are great armies. Then he says, you go ahead and you ask for a sign, Ahaz. And Ahaz, all of a sudden, for once in his life, all of a sudden, becomes spiritual. I will not ask a sign from God. Well, this thought of asking a sign wasn't... He he, he was beginning to, to hearken back to some things formerly written. But it wasn't in the context when God himself says, go ahead and ask for a sign. But in verse 13, it says, Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of my men, uh, p- the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time when he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Okay, so this is where that verse came from in Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah said, go ahead, ask for a sign. He said, I will not ask for a sign. He says, okay, well, here's the, here's the sign. Now, let me tell you how Old Testament prophecy works. This idea that there's multiple fulfillments is not true. There is a fulfillment for each prophecy. There are not multiple fulfillments. But what you will find in the Old Testament prophecies is in the same breath you will hear multiple prophecies. So in this same breath there's this prophecy concerning the far distant future that God is going to have a child born by a virgin. And in the same breath there is a prophecy for that day that God would deliver him from those two kings. He says, here is is a sign. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And that word virgin is the only word for virgin that could be used to mean a woman who has never had sex. And some people will say, oh no, virgin means maiden, blah, 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 blah. Scholars have well documented this and well shown this. This is the only word that could be used. 
there are other words for virgin, and you will find them in the Bible, and it will say in that context, and she was a virgin, and she never had relations with a man. That's not the word that's used here. This word virgin can only be in the context is she's never had relations. The other words virgins could have mean that she was an unmarried woman who may have had relations or she was a widow. In other words, it had to put the qualifier she's never had relations with a man. This word is the only word that Isaiah could have used that meant she never had relations. The other thing is it makes no logical sense to say, oh well, that word just means virgin. I'm sorry, that word just means maiden, meaning an unmarried woman. Because people will argue she was an unmarried woman, but she had sex with a man. Well, let me tell you something. Just an unmarried woman having a baby is no sign at all. That happens all the time today. Unmarried women have babies all the time today. And they did then too. Just being an unmarried woman having a baby is no sign at all. Say some young lady in here who's unmarried should get pregnant. You think I'm going to go, oh, it's a miracle. Oh. No, I, I wouldn't be amazed at all. In fact, I would say you need prayer. We need to stand with you in this. But it's not a miracle. So you want a sign? Let me give you a sign. A virgin, a woman who's never had sex with a man, is going to have a child. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And this is the verse that the angel brings to mind to Joseph. And boom! The context for being able to bear what is to be a very heavy burden. We are going to see disruption upon disruption on this man's life. But context now, because of the Word. When you know the Word of God, it gives you context. I got saved at the age of 18. I started reading the Scriptures. At the age of 19, I started reading the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. When I was done, I started again, and I still do it. And it brings context. And you say, well, you know, I don't see, you know... Christians around me being so affected by this word. Well, that's their problem. You've got bad examples. The lives of believers should be affected. Choose the right way. Choose the highway, the better way. And then he says, in verse 15, now, now if just verse 14 was the sign, in other words, 600 years later, for 700 years later, about, it was about 700 years from the time of this prophecy to the time Jesus was born. What kind of sign would this be to Ahaz? That does Ahaz no good. If this is the sign for me to believe that these two smoldering firebrands, as you call them, aren't going to attack my city, because in 750 years a Savior is going to be born, what sign is that to me today? I mean, I've got, I've got guys with guns pointed at me right outside my door here. Telling me in 750 years something's going to happen isn't that much of a sign to me. Well, now comes the sign to him for that day. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So before Jesus, 
in 750 years is eating curds and honey? It doesn't know good. This is the prophecy for him today. These two verses. For him that day. What boy is he referring to? Not the boy in verse 14, but Isaiah's boy. Look in verse 3 of that chapter. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shir Jashub. He says something very unusual. Isaiah, I want you to bring your son with you. This little boy, I want you to bring your little boy with you. Isaiah's probably thinking, you want me to bring my little boy with me? To go and prophesy to Ahaz? Bring your little boy. And before this boy knows enough to choose good and evil, these two kings who are against you shall be forsaken. This is the prophecy for that day. There is no dual fulfillment in 14. There are two prophecies. There's a prophecy for the far distant future, 750 years later. Then there's a prophecy for Ahaz in that day, before this boy knows enough to choose good over evil. These two kings will be forsaken. And sure enough, those two kings were forsaken. And they didn't come against him. They were defeated and sent back to their own lands. So you see, God puts in context a verse that came 750 years before to Joseph. And that sets the context. And if you know the Scriptures, the pains that you will go through in life, the things that you will experience are set in context. And if you're willing to yield to God, you will save your life. Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake shall save it. If you love your life, the scriptures say, you shall lose it. But if you hate your life, you shall keep it to life eternal. You choose God's way, the higher way. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this Word, this glorious Word that speaks truth, volumes of truth, cry out from this Word into our lives. Father, may we know this Word so that we could be like Joseph to respond when we hear the Word of God that we would respond to it and allow our lives to be so influenced that we would lay down our own will and thereby experience life eternal. Father, I pray for these young people that they would have good lives. Because without this, it will surely be misery. Father, I pray that You give them good lives. That they would take Your Word and honor it and walk with it. And I give this Word to You. And their lives I lay before You. May they be as a sacrifice before you. May they willingly lay down their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.